Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Today's October, today's August 26, 2016. I'm Charlie Wright, and we're very pleased to welcome as our guest for the very first time, Garvin J. Bush of Green Alpha Advisors. He speaks to us from their headquarters in Boulder, Colorado. Garvin, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Hello, Charlie. Thank you for having me. So, Garvin, uh, Green Alpha Advisors, you guys are what we would call an environmental impact investment firm, uh, but you have a unique approach. Let's start with uh, you and your co-founders' backgrounds here. Indeed. We focus very much on what we see as the sustainable economy and that emerging and growing, and we would like ourselves and our clients to participate in that growth. And we founded the firm way back in 2007, myself and my co-founder, Jeremy Deans, Before that, we're working at Forward Funds in San Francisco, which was the uh, investment uh, management arm of the Getty family office. So uh, we worked directly for uh, for Gordon Getty and for his team, and they were interested in doing some sustainability work. So there we ran a fund uh, that was co-branded with the Sierra Club that was a negatively screened stock fund. Uh, What it was was the S&P 500 with... Uh, the most objectionable, uh, environmentally uh, deleterious companies were moved from it. And it was in the course of doing that work that Jeremy and I realized there might be a more interesting way to get at uh, modeling a sustainable economy uh, apart from just doing negative screening and maybe become a little bit more progressive than that. So that's by way of, of short background to say, you know, we thought, what if we founded our own firm and took the next step uh, away from negative screening in order to get at a green portfolio? And so you started in 2007, so since then Green Alpha has developed uh, some mutual funds, correct? Or are you strictly uh, separately managed accounts? That is right. We do have one mutual fund. Its ticker is NEXTX. We call it NEXTX because we always think about and talk about the next economy, what's coming next after this, and therefore what makes an interesting investment opportunity today as, as the next economy starts to grow. And then we also have four other strategies that we offer as separately managed accounts. So uh, you're right both times, Charlie, both, both a mutual fund and separates. Okay, so tell us about your investment selection model. You say that you didn't want to do the negative uh, deselection okay, uh, model. So how do you select stocks to invest in? That is really the heart of any uh, portfolio manager's process, and, it's a, and so it makes a great question. What we thought, so first of all, you know, it took us 18 months to get our first model together because, you know, just kind of ignoring the way that green investing was done before and, and inventing something new took a little time. So the first question we asked ourselves was, well, what's the end game? What are we trying to get to? And if the answer to that question, which we decided it was, is, well, let's model what uh, an indefinitely sustainable economy might look like. And by that, we don't necessarily just mean crunchy and green. We mean uh, the original Latin definition of the word sustainable, which is something that can theoretically persist indefinitely uh, without uh, colliding with a big risk that, that undermines it. And we thought, all right, if the economy really is going to be able to persist indefinitely, what does it need to look like? And how can we start modeling that economy? And then building portfolios that reflect that world as opposed to the economy that we have today. 
And so that process took us 18 months. And even though we founded in July of 2007, we didn't have our first portfolio funded and running till December 30th of 2008. Because it was a lot of work, and it was and it was reinventing uh, how how we think about a green uh, portfolio in many ways. So, give give us some specific examples, will you? Sure. So, we think that in every sector of the economy, there has to be de-risked way to go about uh, providing the good or the service or whatever it is that that part of the economy provides, whether that be transportation or energy or materials or retail or commerce. And we think about something that won't present a systemic risk that is going to cause long-term problems for the global economy. So uh, uh, an easy example is energy. Uh, I, we can easily perceive that that burning coal puts not only carbon in the air, but also mercury, also particulate matters, all kinds of things that present health risks for people that cause global warming. Uh, the mining process uh, pollutes streams and aquifers, and this is something that we can't power human civilization with indefinitely if we're not going to cause too much risk. Okay, so we won't look there for our energy. Where can we look? Well, so we have uh, a fair amount of exposure in the better wind and solar companies, for example. Then in transportation, we want to look for zero emissions transportation. Uh, in um, agriculture and, uh, and food, particularly in, in wholesale and retail, uh, we want to look for companies that rely on natural and organic practices because the long-term use of large amounts of pesticides and herbicides are degrading farmland, making it less productive, causing dead zones in the Gulf of Mexico. Again, things that are going to cause a long-term systemic risk for the global economy. And we thought, what if we just avoided all those risks and invested, if you will, you know, we think of the sustainable economy as the de-risked economy. So that's sort of our approach. Okay, and so uh, you focus on about how many companies? So we think about companies uh, either providing solutions to systemic risk or being causes of systemic risk. If in aggregate a company, and there's no such thing as a perfect company, by the way, Charlie, so we think very much in terms of aggregate as determined by percentage of revenues earned. In aggregate, if a company is a net provider of a solution to a systemic risk, we can call them... Uh, define them internally as a next economy company. And on our list of companies that we think we can safely say belong to the next economy, we have about 400. And that's, that's our evaluation list and our watch list, and it evolves, of course. Then of those, we think about 88 or 90 also exhibit sufficiently strong financial characteristics that we would actually put client money in them. So right now we've got, eight, we've got money in 88 stocks. Okay, and does that change all the time? Are you ever evaluating this? Yep, we, it's an ongoing evaluation. It changes all the time, uh, actually, and, I, and I'm hoping for it to grow. But, you know, between our next economy criteria and then our pretty rigorous quantitative bottom-up evaluation process, which is mostly value-based but also has, has a little bit of a growth spin on it, I would say it's a modified Graham Dodd. But, but between all of that, we're pretty tough. And, you know, we've been doing this, uh, we've had portfolios running almost eight years now, and we've, and we've identified 88 firms. You know, I'd like to get to the, to the point where we have 100 that we like enough to actually invest in. I, I like the sound of the next economy, 100. <laughs> but but uh, we're not going to, you know, do that just to get there. We're, we're going to have to organically grow the list. You know, I'm thinking of companies that, that should be, I would think, would be environmentally agnostic. I mean, Google and Apple and the like. So do you eliminate those companies? 
I wouldn't actually, Charlie, and I and I love that you asked that because uh, the way that we think about next economics uh, is it doesn't really have a lot to do with just being uh, warm and fuzzy and green and and sustainable just for sustainability's sake. You know, we, we want to think about companies that are leading the way to a future where we have far less systemic risk. And actually, we have investments in both Google and Apple because we perceive that, again, in aggregate, they're, they're doing more to solve our big uh, systemic problems than they are doing to cause them. And, and so, how's that? Well, what are they doing to solve some systemic problems? Sure. I'll start with Google. You know, Apple's kind of an easy one. They, they've gone crazy with renewable energy. So I guess I'll start with Apple. <laughs> Not only are they making, uh, or very soon to be making, uh, all 100% of all the energy that firm consumes, not only on the corporate level in Cupertino, but also in their manufacturing processes in China from renewable energy. So they've got a net zero impact in terms of pollution and in terms of uh, global warming. But in addition, they're working on an electric vehicle, and they're they're doing many things that are how a company can work in a in a zero-risk economy future. So they're already trying very hard to live in that world. Meanwhile, they're providing connectivity devices to everyone, which makes the economy more efficient, which brings me to Google. This is what they do as well. One of the ways I love to think about sustainability, Charlie, is in terms of just pure, nerdy economic production function, by which I mean if we want to de-risk the economy and get it to a place where it can thrive indefinitely, what we need to do is make sure everyone can have a great standard of living, but on the basis of not over-consuming everything that we need to sustain ourselves. So in other words, we need to get way more economic output out of way fewer economic inputs, meaning, just by definition, the economy has to become more efficient, to the point where everyone can have a good standard of living on the basis of economic inputs, be those money or person hours or natural resources that we would think of as trivial today. And and a company like Google, that's their whole mission, is to crank up the efficiency of the economy. You know, thanks to, to Google and companies like them, the average worker is five times more efficient per hour now than they were 20 years ago. You know, anybody with a smartphone now has access to more and better and quicker information than the most wealthy person on earth did 25 years ago. It's an amazing revolution, and it's very important in terms of thinking about how the economy writ large can become indefinitely sustainable. And this is what I mean when I say I, I try to think about it in very hard-nosed, real economic ways and not just in, well, what, what sounds like a fluffy green company I can buy. So uh, given those criteria, you must also like Facebook and Walmart. <laughs> so this takes me back to my earlier comment that, sure, there's no such thing as a perfect company. So what I want to do is look at uh, aggregates of solutions versus causes of risk. And if by revenue I think that, you know, 51% of a given company's revenue is based on causes uh, or contribute, uh, contributing to systemic risk, then I don't necessarily want that company in the portfolio. And while Walmart is making strides, and I'm actually very impressed with what they've done just in the last couple years uh, in terms of managing their supply chain, in terms of getting some solar panels on some of their roofs, uh, I can't yet, and I won't say I never will, but I can't yet make the judgment that I think they're overall contributing to solutions. I think probably at this point they're probably just doing just as much to contribute to causes of systemic risk. And I can and I can think of a couple of other examples too, Charlie. Like one that I, that I like to mention to people to give them a very clear idea of how I'm thinking about sustainability is Toyota. Now, 
a lot of green funds, especially negatively screened funds, which again, you know, we founded Green Alpha because we thought that the negative screening approach was insufficient in, in really getting to a model of what sustainability looks like. So a lot of funds will put, will put Toyota in there because they popularized the Prius. Well, that's good as far as it goes, but it's a very small part of their revenue, and in terms of their aggregate business, it isn't that meaningful. You know, they don't sell one plug-in model in the United States, so everything you drive with a Toyota badge on it has emissions, and they sell so many large, very low-mileage vehicles that their average fleet miles per gallon is something like 26 or 27 right now. So overall, they're doing more to contribute to the systemic risks of pollution and climate change than they are doing to mitigate those risks, and they therefore do not find a place in a green alpha portfolio. Well, that's interesting. You know, you guys must do a tremendous amount of research. And uh, uh, so by doing that much research, so you've got two things uh, to research because most uh, uh, money managers only research the financial side. You have to research both the environmental side and, and, and as you're talking about, you have to well understand a particular company's operation, etc. And then after they make that list, you've got to examine the financial side. So how do you do that and retain low costs? You're, well, first of all, Charlie, you're, you're very perceptive. There is a ton of research involved. And more than that, you were perceptive in, in perceiving that we divided into two parts like that. And we try to keep very clear distinction between the two. We call the uh, next economy qualifying part of the research, uh, the top-down portion, the macroeconomic thesis portion, and we make that completely separate from the quantitative bottom-up. And I'll get to your cost question in a minute, too. And we look at a company and determine whether or not we think it qualifies as a candidate to, to exist in the next economy before we do any part of the financial research. Because if a company isn't going to make the cut from the top down, from the macroeconomic thesis part, why, you know, I'm not interested in it, and why would I bother to uh, start looking at its fundamentals? So once a company we've comfortably decided does fit into the next economy, and wow, that's an interesting firm, and, and they're doing a lot of great stuff, okay, now let's get into our quant modeling and look at things like how fast is it growing, are they extending their margins, how's their free cash flow, how are their ratios, how's their valuation, all those things that we care about to, to arrive at, uh, we, what we do is we roll up into a score that, as I mentioned, is a combination of Gram-Dot valuation combined with some growth uh, parameters that, that we're interested in seeing companies. Because again, we're looking for companies that are going to populate the next economy and therefore, by definition, be gaining market share away from their legacy economy predecessors and counterparts. So I'm interested in the growth function as well as the value function, and we have our own modified system of, of bottom-up scoring to get to that. And then, once we've completed both pieces, we aggregate the score to say how strong are they in the next economy combined with how fantastic are their fundamentals, and then we arrive at portfolio weights. You know, Garvin, we are well over our time for a break here. We need to stop for a short break. Again, you're listening to Strategic Investor Radio and octalkradio.net. We're talking with Garvin J. Bush. Fascinating conversation about Green Alpha Advisors. And we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. 
So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. All right, now back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with Garvin J. Bush of Green Alpha Advisors, one of the co-founders. So, Garvin, as uh, I understand it here, at uh, Green Alpha, what you guys do is you first screen for what you call sustainability. And when you come up with a list, which currently uh, consists of about uh, 400 companies, then you screen for financial fundamentals. And uh, and then you, you currently uh, have about uh, 90 companies that you like, and those are the companies that you guys invest with. Is that a good uh, description? Yep, you nailed it, Charlie. That's exactly right. Okay. So uh, tell us, uh, you guys have a relationship with the Sierra Club, and you have a fund specifically with that. Tell us about that relationship. We do. Kind of an, an interesting backstory on that. I mentioned earlier that Jeremy, uh, my co-founder, and I uh, had been working at Forward Funds in San Francisco managing a mutual fund that was co-branded with the Sierra Club. It was called the Sierra Club Stock Fund, of all incredibly creative names. Um, it was advised by Forward Funds and managed by me. And during the course of working on that for Forward and, and, and for Mr. Getty, we got to know the leadership of the club pretty well. And when we went to found Green Alpha, we walked over there. It was only about two blocks between Forward Funds and the Sierra Club at that time. We walked over there to advise their uh, Sierra Club's leadership that we were leaving Forward and would no longer be managing their fund. And it was great working with them. And, you know, can we call you in a couple of years when we've got a portfolio ready for you to maybe become a client of? And uh, about three weeks later, their chief financial officer called and said, uh, hey, we're interested in having you guys in to talk to you. And we said, well, sure, thank you. We appreciate it. But, you know, it's going to take us a while to get our models ready and to think about how we're going to build portfolios and to be ready for you. But, you know, thanks. We'll, we'll give you a call when we're ready. And they said, well, you're misunderstanding us. We'd, we'd actually like to uh, become uh, seed investors in Green Alpha Advisors, the firm, not so much clients in your portfolios. Because we agree with your guys' vision of next economics and what it's going to take to get a real sustainability. So with that, uh, we became the Sierra Club's an incredibly conservative organization. Uh, we became their first, last, and only private equity investment. And uh, to this day, they own a minority piece of Green Alpha Advisors. But at this time, they're also clients as well. Wow, that's a very, very interesting story. And so, yeah, and, and the uh, and the fund that you operate with them, what, what is what is it about? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's available as a separately managed account. It is called Sierra Club Green Alpha, Sierra Club Green Alpha Portfolio, and it is the intersection of our thesis of next economics. So, you know, the eighty-eight firms I mentioned right now that we believe both qualify as as a next economy example, but also with good enough fundamentals that we like investing in them. And then we overlay the Sierra Club's own criteria that are proprietary to them, a list of things they want to see in their investments that they've developed since the 70s to really reassure themselves that they've got a very strictly green-focused portfolio. So as you can imagine, uh, the result of, of, our, of our very long research-intensive due diligence, 
combined with the Sierra Clubs results in a in a pretty concentrated portfolio, usually uh, plus or minus a handful, about 30 stocks in there. And as such, it's our most aggressive growth portfolio. Well, very, very interesting. And, and by the way here, uh, Garvin, uh, just between us here, uh, we, we don't want to uh, allow you to get away without any good uh, Gordon Getty stories, if you've got any. <laughs> I, you know, he was a great boss, and he is a brilliant man. Uh, we would walk into his office, and he would either be working on math and analytics for uh, his, his favorite project, which was called Reflow, which is a mutual fund redemption solution, that allows a manager to meet a redemption on a given day without having to sell the underlying securities in the portfolio and hurt the other shareholders. Very complex math. He was the inventor of that. You know, you think that somebody that was born a billionaire might not work that hard, but he was just too smart to, to, to just take it easy. And so he'd either be working on that or, I kid you not, writing an opera. And he um, always made time for us nevertheless and was just a very interesting uh, polymath sort of, sort of brilliant individual. Really cool guy. It was, it was a real pleasure and honor to work for him. You know, that is great to hear here, Garvin. We hear so many of the opposite stories of people born to wealth, uh, silver spoon in their mouth, etc. And to hear of someone who not only has the brains, but has the discipline and the work ethic and the desire to continue to make contributions and to do it through very uh, specific ways. And the next time I need an opera, I'll, I'll give him a call here. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be happy to talk opera. Anytime. Yeah, you know, here's a guy who can do anything he wants, and he's in the office every day working hard. It, it was great to see. Okay, so uh, tell us a question we like to ask all of our um, guests here. Garvin, what keeps you awake at night? That's a great question. And, you know, in terms of short-term market volatility, I don't worry that much about it. I think that we have long-term strategies, and we think that all the technologies and ideas and innovations we think that all those things we're working on are going to gain market share and therefore be great long-term investments, but we do exhibit short-term volatility, but I'm very transparent about that with our clients up front, so most of them stick with us through the volatility. You know, if I worry about anything, it's that we're not making fast enough progress to meet sustainability and that some of our problems are going to get worse, so both in terms of that I think it would help my portfolios and my clients, but also in, in terms of that I think it would help the global economy persist longer and more beneficially for everyone in it, uh, I think we need to be working a little bit harder to decarbonize the economy, to work a little harder on zero emissions transportation, to have more renewables and fewer coal-burning plants. These, these are things that concern me a lot, both, again, in terms of my portfolio performance, but also in terms of just how long can the global economy continue to, to thrive. Well, no question about it. You have plenty of opportunity to uh, make uh, real contributions there. Uh, and and I, ne- I neglected to ask earlier when we talked about your uh, SMAs and your funds, are they all long only? Do you go short in any of them? Do you go to cash? Are there, is there any technical analysis involved, or is it strictly long only and fundamental analysis? With the exception of cash, uh, it is always long only. And it does not rely at all on technical analysis. The closest to that I will get is uh, if I have a predetermined target of a given company in a portfolio. Uh, so we mentioned uh, Google. So say I want to have Google at 3% in a given portfolio. 
the closest I'll come to a technical application is if it has you know a bad day and it's down five percent. I'll take advantage of that day to go ahead and get it up to target. And other than that, no, we're very much long only. We try to do the very patient, uh, sober, responsible job that investment managers are supposed to do, and that is buy fantastic companies with amazing growth prospects and then patiently watch them grow. I can tell that you've read. Uh Warren Buffett's books here, and Charlie Munger's. <laughs> you know, I, that was a good observation. And, and then a uh, generation before him, Ben Graham's book. Yep. So a uh, second question we like to ask all of our guests uh, here, Garvin, or what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? This is going to sound funny, but I'm going to recommend a book that isn't strictly about investing. Uh, it's by the uh, great uh, Harvard biologist E.O. Wilson, and it is called Half Earth. And it's about his thesis uh, of how we need to manage Earth itself in order for our civilization to keep on enduring indefinitely. And I think that the underlying, not so thinly veiled implications for how we need to think about the economy are there for anyone to read. And if you think about having a long-term investment thesis, so if you manage any kind of an endowment or even an IRA, anything with a long horizon, especially if you have a perpetual horizon like a university endowment or something, every investment decision you make now occurs within the context of the large planetary scale changes we're seeing, and you need to be thinking about those as you invest, and you're not going to get that perspective from any investment text. So I would encourage folks to get outside of the box of just traditional investment textbooks and read E.O. Wilson's, Wilson's book, Half Earth. Uh, you know, I, in, being informed by, by large-scale macro, like planetary macro-level uh, inputs are making folks like uh, former SEC Commissioner uh, Beavis Longstreth come out and say things like, you know, in the long run, it may very well be that continuing to hold shares of fossil fuels might be ruled negligence because of the risks they present. This is not, you know, the, the chairman of Greenpeace. This is an SEC commissioner making comments like that. And when you really take a look at, at the changes that we're affecting on the global economy, you can see that that isn't a crazy thing to say and that we need to think about that for our long-term strategies. So give us your website here, Garvin. Sure, Green Alpha Advisors. That's all one word, uh, .com. And that's Advisors ORS. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. It is Advisors ORS. When we, Charlie, when we went to found the firm, I just wanted to sell Advisors ORS. And everyone said, isn't it ERS? And so I got really scared because I'd already, you know, filed with the SEC. And <laughs> I looked it up in the most authoritative source I could find, the Oxford English Dictionary. Fortunately for me, it turns out both spellings are correct. Well, good. <laughs> okay, so final words for our listeners here, Garvin. I don't think anyone should, with a long-term investment horizon, should invest in the causes of systemic risk ever again. And the mantra we live by here is always invest in solutions, never invest in causes, and you'll have a good long-term strategy. If you combine that with good fundamentals, it provides a very powerful one-two punch that I think provides an outstanding chance at long-term competitive returns. Garvin, thank you very much. We really appreciate you being with us here today and uh, joining us on uh, OC Talk Radio, Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. It was a real pleasure. Again, we've been talking with Garvin J. Bush of Green Alpha Advisors out of Boulder, Colorado. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. And we wish you an enjoyable week and productive investing. 
You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science.